Hey, good morning. Welcome. So glad that you're joining us, everybody in this room. Hello. Everybody who's uh, joining us via live stream, we're so glad you're here. Um, today is supposed to be a hot one in Wisconsin. So I've got my Hawaiian shirt on. I'm, uh, I'm ready for the tropical weather of September in Wisconsin. Who knew? Um, next week, you know, it, it is September and people are getting back to school and some people will be getting back to church. I really encourage you to think about people in your life who may be looking for something, who may be searching for connection, who may be searching for, uh, for meaning, for purpose, for God. And I want to encourage you to, like, it's okay to invite them. Invite them if you're doing a, a live stream experience. Invite them to join in, uh, to come together in a, in a living room and uh, do the live stream experience. Or invite them into this space to sit at a table with you. The series we're going to enter into is called Things Are Going to Be Different. And that works on a, a, a number of levels. We know that the rate of change in the world is increasing exponentially. Things are going to be different in the world. Um, we need to be a people who are constantly being transformed by God as we interact with an ever-changing world. So the world is always changing, and we are called to be transforming in the midst of that. And that's why things look different at New Day than they did a few years ago. Things are going to be different. So please invite people into that teaching series. Also, small group signups have started. And small groups are beginning the week of September 24th. So if you want more information about that, Put a note in the chat. If you're in this room, there are communication cards you can fill out, check a box, or our, uh, our, our master of small group organization is, uh, is sitting right over here, Rachel. Uh, you can have a conversation with Rachel, and she can help you get plugged into a small group, which is like a 13, 14-week 13 13-week uh, commitment, and then it's... Uh, and then it's done, and then there's a break, and small groups meet often in homes. There's a group that meets fully online. There's a group that has met in this space on a Sunday, uh, immediately following the teaching time, so they can have a, a meal together and discuss and not add another trip and another meeting to their week. So lots of options and opportunities to grow together. So small groups, check those things out. I mentioned that it's fall. That's back to school time, right? This is back to school time. And um, man, some of you are have experienced that first day of school, right? What, a Friday? Is that? Yeah. So first day of school was on Friday and then a three-day weekend. If only that pattern could continue, right? Um, but uh, I, I remember first day of school, and there were some things to be excited about. There was, like, seeing friends again, and 
seeing friends again. You know, like those, lots to be excited about in, in going back to school. And then there are, uh, there are a ton of things to be worried about, too. Like, did I get the right back-to-school clothes? Do I have the supplies that I need? Where are my classes? Are they going to uh, be okay? What about the teachers? Seeing friends again. Like, there's a lot of things that we can get worried about when we think about going back to school. Um, how we deal with worry really makes a difference throughout our lives. And um, I was in Denver a couple of weeks ago and had a chance to spend time with a guy who's uh, pastoring a church right now. He used to be a teacher in a seminary. He taught New Testament. And he shared a, a lesson there uh, about fear and about faith that I thought, man, I need to bring this to, to my church. It, it had such an impact on, on me and the other people who were in the room that um, I thought, I'm just going to borrow what he taught. So um, credit on this is, is not, uh, d does not go to me. Um, and I'm just, I know I wrote his name. <laughs> his name is escaping me right now. But I'll come up with it uh, to, to give him credit. But I don't think he cares anyway. He's not watching this. We're looking at Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22, and we're catching up with Jesus and his disciples after Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 people. And in verse 22, we read, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. And after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. A night fell while he was there alone. So we get a picture of what's happening here. And we get a picture of Jesus being someone who uh, takes time alone to pray. Uh, and I think that's already instructive to us. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. This might be hard for us to imagine unless we've been on a boat that's been facing heavy waves, and then we imagine a wooden boat that these fishermen were in. Um, when Dr. Ilo was here, along with Ken Morris, one of the Wisconsin experiences that we wanted to, to give to them was lake life, and uh, my in-laws have a, a pontoon boat that they take out on, uh, on Lake Dubay. And so we had it all set up and, and ready to go. Uh, it was the worst day for, for boating. Um, uh, in fact, uh, so my, I invited my parents to come along too. And, uh, and my dad said, um, you know, it's, it, it's a good thing you're here, Dr. Isla, and I just want you to know that um, it's only because you're here that we're going to do this boat ride because none of us would do it today if you weren't here. Um, we, <laughs> we, got on the, we got on the boat 
And seriously, I'd never seen these kinds of waves on Lake Dubay. The, the boat was rising and falling. There were times where it was, it was taking on water. Like, and I, I think Dr. Isle had not been on a boat on a lake before. So this was his introduction. Now, these guys in this passage, they're experienced fishermen, and they are scared to death of what's going on because they know what could happen if their boat starts to take on water. They know that they're in trouble. They are fighting heavy waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, by the way, you would want to be to the other shore before 3 o'clock in the morning. They are fighting. They are exhausted. Fighting for their lives, trying to get to the other shore. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. It's hard for us to even imagine what this would be like to see someone as you're fighting for your life in this boat, to see someone walking towards you on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. They thought something supernatural was going on, not through Jesus, through some other spiritual force. They were scared. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, which I love. I love when the disciples do this because what it shows is they're not sure all the time. They doubt sometimes. And I appreciate that because they're ordinary people. And that's who Jesus chooses to use, ordinary people. So he says, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, Peter's a disciple. A disciple is uh, an apprentice, a Padawan. Um, It's someone who acknowledges a master and says, I want to learn from you, believing that I can be like you. Now, Peter knows that he can't be the son of God. He knows, though, that Jesus chose him for a purpose and that Jesus is teaching him. So Peter has what we might call audacity, what uh, the Hebrews might call chutzpah. We might call it faith to say, if you're really my master, then you'll tell me to come to you, and I'll be able to do that. Jesus says in verse 29, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Now, this tra- we're going to talk about translation a little bit. This translation, the New Living Translation says, you have so little faith. 
Jesus said, why did you doubt me? Let's talk about that for just a moment. Uh, other translations say something like, oh, ye of little faith. Um, what is really going on there, it's just one word. We have a whole sentence. You have so little faith. It's one word in Greek. It's like a hyphenated word, little faith. And he uses this word a couple of times, and it's almost like a nickname, like a, um, not, not a, a, a mean derogatory thing, more like a little faith, little faith. Why do you doubt? And this English translation says, why did you doubt me? We added the me in English because just a verse before, didn't Peter cry out to Jesus, save me, Lord? It seems like he believes that Jesus can save him. It seems like he believes in Jesus So a better translation of this would be, little faith, why do you doubt? Without naming exactly what Peter is doubting. He's living in a condition of doubt. Is he doubting himself? Is he doubting Jesus? Is he doubting that he's going to survive this, even if he is walking? We, We don't know. We just know that he is sinking and doubting. And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Now, I want to focus in on a, a particular word in this passage. And this is where Craig Smith from Mission Hills Church in Colorado, uh, this is where his expertise came in because as a New Testament teacher, he's reading these things in the original Greek. I don't do that. I learn that stuff because, like, I go online and look at, uh, you know, you can go to blueletterbible.com and you can see how the original language compares to the English and you can get some explanations of what the, uh, you know, what the Greek words are. You can find tools like that and you can hear commentaries. Craig is one of these guys who will open the Greek and read it. And what he noticed when he was looking over this passage, which for a lot of people who have been followers of Jesus, this is a very familiar passage. What he noticed for the first time recently is that Matthew, the author here, uses a different word for uh, the the word that we say uh, translate as saw. Appears a couple of times, and Matt, but Matthew uses different words for that one English word "saw." So, in the beginning, the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water, and then when Peter was walking on the water, he saw the wind and the waves. And those are two different Greek words. So, Craig Smith looks at this and goes, "Why?" Why two different words? Matthew doesn't do things on accident. There's a reason that there are two different Greek words. So he dug into what's really going on here. And what he discovered is uh, the, that second word where Peter saw 
the wind and the waves, is a, a Greek word, blepo, that is the word that Jesus used when he was talking about uh, lust, when he said, if any of you looks at a woman lustfully, that word looks, it's the same Greek root there. Now, there is a reality in, in the world that all of us face where sometimes we glance at something and uh, know that we probably shouldn't stay looking at that something, so we glance away. And then there's the looking at that Jesus is describing when he talks about looking at someone lustfully, that's more of a focus, right? So there's a glance, and then there's a focus. So what Peter is doing is after he and the disciples saw Jesus, just simply saw, observed him walking on the water, Peter gets to a point where he sees the wind and the waves and focuses on them. Let's that get into his head. And the comment that Craig Smith said as he was talking to a, a group of pastors, he said, um, he said, I haven't like got this all polished up and, and, and worked out, but I, this is going to be a message at some point. He said this little gem. He said, what we see might scare us. What we focus on might sink us. What we see might scare us. What we focus on might sink us. And at that point, honestly, I spoke up and said, you don't have this message finished? Like, uh, we could chew on that for a while. The Israelites, if we go way back before the birth of Jesus, where God has rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and he's bringing them to the, the land that he promised, and they send spies into that land to check it out, and they find that it is everything that God promised. It's so fruitful. There are uh, clusters of grapes that it takes two people to carry. Like, it is amazing. It's everything they had hoped for. And yet, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, uh, we read that the spies say, we even saw giants there. So now they're talking about the opposition that's in the land. They've talked about the opportunity in the land, and now they're talking about the opposition. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Really? How do you know what they thought? Did the spies really feel like grasshoppers and then go up to these giants and go, what do you think? I don't think they did that. I think what they did 
is they saw the opportunity and then they focused on the opposition and they started writing a script for how overwhelming that opposition is. And they let it sink them. And consequently, instead of going directly into the promised land, they ended up wandering the desert for 40 years until that whole generation had passed, except for the two spies who said, no, God's given it to us. Let's take it. Are we focusing on opposition or on opportunity? I'm going to steal one more thing from Craig Smith that I think he stole from somebody else. Uh, I don't think he gave them credit. So next time I do this, I'm not giving anybody credit. <laughs> he said, how big is this room? You know, there are different ways that we can measure it. Uh, no matter how you measure it, it's easy to answer the question, what's bigger, this room or your hand? Well, the room, I mean, it's obvious the room is bigger. However, what happens to the room when you do this? Your little hand can make the whole room disappear. What we see can scare us. What we focus on can sink us. So something that uh, is, is true of me is that I have a tendency to uh, acknowledge when somebody says something good, praise or encouragement. If somebody says a criticism, though, it's like a worm in my brain that just starts to live there. That's a problem. To see and acknowledge what's positive and yet then to absorb what's negative. So if you're going back to school, you know, you can focus on those things that are scary, that are frightening, that are unknown, the waves, the wind, the classes that are starting up, the bully who you had a face last year who you haven't had to see for three months and yet who's going to be back. All of the things that seem so big and overwhelming when we focus on them. Maybe you're facing something that you hadn't planned on, uh, a, a tragedy or a challenge that's come up, or something that you know is going to come up, and it seems so big. Our encouragement from Scripture is to, the way the Apostle Paul says, is run the race with endurance. The way we do that is by focusing 
on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, to focus on Christ, to fix our eyes on things that are good. That doesn't mean that the storm doesn't exist. What it means is there is a master who is bigger than any storm. So we're going to take some time right now to, uh, to reflect. We're going to reconnect after time of reflection. We're going to share communion, which is a reminder of what that master did on our behalf. So that if we doubt ourselves, we can remember, he loved you so much. God loved you so much, he sent his son to die in your place. Jesus believes in you so much that he's given you a mission and said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And those promises are sealed by the blood of Jesus, by the sacrifice he made, by his broken body. And he's proved his power over all the storms by his resurrection. So we're going to remember that together. And as we prepare for taking communion together, I encourage you to take this time of reflection and to consider what's a storm that you've given too much power to, that you've put too much focus on? And what will it take to put your focus on Jesus Christ? What are you willing to do this week in order to refocus on him? So let's take some time. Let's practice that rad pattern of reflection, application, and discussion right now. And after a few minutes of quiet reflection, we're going to reconnect for communion and discussion. So take a few minutes right now.
I didn't finish the story about being on Lake Dubay and, uh, and being on all those waves. It, it uh, was not entirely miserable because we had uh, Michelle's dad was the, the, the captain, and he knew where we could go to get away from the wind, and uh, it was amazing. Once we turned around a point, you could see the water was still, and it was, uh, and it was beautiful, and, and Dr. Isla had a great time, <laughs> so, uh, because we had, a, uh, we had a captain who we, uh, who, who we trusted in that situation. Um, let's pray together as, uh, as, as we remember Jesus, who is the master over any storms that we face. God, we do acknowledge that we tend to see things from you that are uh, easy to explain away or easy to forget once we're faced by the waves and the wind. I pray, God, that you would work in our hearts and our minds right now to help us focus on what you did to save us, sending your son so that whoever believes in him won't perish, will have eternal life. God, be honored as we repent, as we turn away from our, our sinful patterns and, and turn to you, remembering Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, Paul the Apostle says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, God, for the broken body of Christ. Let's take the bread together as we remember him. Paul continues in the same way. He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's remember the blood of Jesus shed for us as a payment for our sins once for all time as we take the cup together. Paul concludes, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's close our time together with another word of prayer. God, as the promise is that Jesus will come again to make all things new, to set everything right, to undo every injustice, we thank you for those promises and pray that our 
eyes, our hearts, our minds would be set on the promises that you've given, the work that you have already started, and that you give us the faith to be steady and to keep walking, even as the wind and the waves rise around us, until our life ends or until you come again. Our faith is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to take some time and discuss what is God teaching you today? What are you willing to do about it? Uh, so if you're in the chat, well, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love for you to share with us. And in this room, we'll have discussions around tables. And uh, we'll start a new series next week that we definitely want you to be a part of and to invite other people into. That starts next week, and uh, our small groups start in three weeks, so sign up for those. We'll see you soon. Go in peace.